most important people to take care of, first of all, are your own people. That's Scott Mungie, founder and CEO of Mungie & Associates. Take care of your people and you'll have happy people. And then in turn, with their interactions with the clients, they will have a happier, better experience. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Scott Mungie to discuss how to lead a world-class team with a service-oriented culture, how to differentiate your firm in even the most competitive markets, and why hard work and consistency are the real magic bullets. If you're not growing, if you're not expanding, if you're not investing in tomorrow, then you're not moving forward because someone else is doing those things. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, Michael. So if for the people listening, if you live in Atlanta, I don't know if there's a single human being that has not seen some form of marketing or advertising that you've done. I mean, I was I was mentioning even before we started recording, I'm dropping my daughter off this morning. I'm seeing billboards. I'm seeing you on buses. Do you know offhand just like how many billboards, buses like that you have, like just your face or the firm brand on? Boy, that's a great question. I don't know exactly, but uh, you know, the, the joke on marketing is half my marketing works and half of it doesn't. I just don't know which half is half. Have you seen, and again, I know you said nothing was off limits, so I'm just going to dive in right away. Roughly, how much are you investing a month right now on marketing? Probably too much. Um, the focus um, that we have on marketing is really in terms of not so much how much we spend, but what's our cost come out to be per case. So, so that's something that we're very conscious of in terms of, you know, in terms of what are we spending? Are we spending wisely? Uh, what's working? What's not? And just making sure that we're not squandering any resources. Now, we'll come back to the marketing, but just roughly over a million a month? Over. Yes. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. When you first launched the firm, what was what was the marketing investment then? Because I imagine this has steadily increased over oh, the years. Oh my goodness, well, that's going back quite a ways. And I think you just you know you start where you are with what you have. You know, really in terms of when I started, I started with nothing. And so at that point, it's really just you know you never know where your next case or next client is going to come from. It can, can can come from anyone, so or anywhere. You know, in terms of that, there was just really just a lot of just you know very uh, hands-on marketing and networking and and each step, and then that step leads to another step. 
And then that step leads to something else, which at the time was probably Yellow Pages. And then that step leads to to television. And that step leads to, uh, you know, to digital. And then that step leads to something else. And, you know, some of the conversations that I, I have, Michael, with marketing, with some of our partners, I will say, you know, this conversation took me 25 years to get to this point to be able to have this conversation. In terms of the, the barriers uh, to marketing, there's, you know, they kind of work both ways. It takes a, it takes a long time to get there. But also once you get past a barrier, uh, it also offers a certain level of perhaps security just because it takes so long to build up. Yeah. And it's, it's building that that brand. It's interesting in speaking with various firm owners and market leaders from across the country, many of them have some sort of like catalyst moment that they were building up to. And whether it was a certain case, they, they hit a big case and they reinvested into the firm. Do you have a moment like that where just things really started to take off? With me, I would say it's been more of a process. Uh, so in, in terms of my story, you know, it started, gosh, uh, started, a, I mean, a long time ago. I started work at a very young age at about eight or 10, you know, recycling aluminum cans. After that, I uh, was a paper boy. Uh, after that, landscaping, mowing yards. After that, uh, fast food and going on. And, and you know, looking back, uh, all of these things, it, the work ethic that you have, and especially uh, getting used to doing things that you may not feel like doing them, but you plow forward, you do them anyway, and you kind of just get used to that. And that same work ethic or things that that I use to apply to what I do today. Everything's a lesson. And uh, you look back and, and in terms of the most challenging experiences that you've had. And in, in hindsight, there's all there's something of value that you can apply moving forward. For me, it was more of just it was more of a process coming from a background of scarcity. I was always thinking about tomorrow. I was always had a greater security of putting it that way of surrounding myself with as many clients, as many cases as I could. And so that was always my desire, Michael, was what can I do as far as finding things that work? There's so many things that don't work. And, you know, just like Thomas Edison has his quote of there's five, I know 5,000 ways not to invent a, a light bulb. I mean, I know 5,000 marketing things that don't work. And so it makes you appreciate it when you find something that does work. And there's, there's no silver bullet. It takes, you know, some of a lot of different things and it takes some, some luck and everybody has good luck and bad luck. But for me, it's been more of a, a journey along the way and just not really not taking anything for granted, not being satisfied with whatever happened yesterday, you know, always trying to do whatever I can to build for tomorrow. How long has, has the firm been in existence today? Since 1993. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so to have that type of longevity, just simply even existing, like, let alone growing, right? What's been the biggest challenge over the years? I would put the challenges into, into two categories. You know, the first challenge is, is really just is building your business, getting it rolling and finding things that are going to provide a sufficient stream of work to keep you and everyone busy. I mean, that's frequently how I view my role is my job is to keep everyone in my organization busy. You know, that's one of the challenges. And then the other challenges is just making sure uh, that you have the right people. And the way I describe that is I always look for two qualities, and that is positivity and performance. So in terms of looking if someone's going to be a good fit in our team, uh, when I say positivity, I'm looking for people that are basically going to be the nicest people on the planet that I can find. And then also just happen to be high performers. I know a lot of firms these days say they're focusing on customer service, but you guys, I mean, you take it to another level. Where did that come from, that inspiration, and why is that such an important focus of the firm? One of the key things is, 
is in terms of, you know, whatever a person's practice model is, you know, when you do it, the only way to get ahead is to distinguish yourself and think, what can I do that's different? And a great way to do that in terms of our organization or the practice of law or any business, I think is to go through and look at the friction points and say, okay, you know, what are the friction points in the client experience? What can we do to, to do things better or different? Like, so for example, uh, some of the things that we do, so the person's going to hear something dramatically different. It's going to be, how can I make you smile? How can I make things better? In terms of just setting that positive tone from the very first call. If someone's coming into the office, uh, we're going to go through, we're going to have a welcome monitor. It's going to have their name on it and it's going to go through and, uh, you know, make them feel welcome, generate those positive vibes before they ever have a meeting with, uh, with anyone. Other things that we can do as far as welcoming them, uh, they're going to get a personalized welcome video. It's going to have their name on it. It's going to let them know that we're working on their case and, you know, continuing that through the, uh, through the process. In the last uh, year, we've sent 12,000 gratitude books. These are books that are personalized in the names of our clients to let them know that they are valued, appreciated, important. And it's a collection of positive quotes. And that's also the message for members of our team is that you're valued, appreciated, important. And I don't think that can ever be said enough. I know I don't say it enough. And, you know, so those are some of our core values that would be important to us. And I know we'll talk about brand and, you know, and marketing throughout this, but like what you just mentioned, even those, those gratitude books, it's like, how do you measure that? Right. Like, how do you measure the, a return on that? And, and obviously you could say, well, that's not necessarily our goal when we send those out. But I mean, I think making those decisions, there's still an investment there. Right. So I imagine that you're probably making a lot of investments like that. You can't directly measure. Yeah, that's exactly true. But in terms of the way I measure that is, am I making a connection with this person? What am I doing to stand out that's, that's different from someone else? In that example that I gave, uh, every book also includes some things about my personal journey and my story and my and message to the recipient that, hey, I would love to hear from you. Hey, Michael, here's my cell. Text or call me. Let me know what you think of this gift. I'd love to hear from you. You know, beginning, it all begins with a conversation. And so those are some of the things that we do. And, and Scott, speaking of your story, I guess to, to, to take a step back, just you know, growing up in Illinois and from what I've read, you did not come from a family of lawyers. What influenced your decision to, to become an attorney? I came from a family of a uh, family of six. I was the oldest of four children. You know, in terms of making that decision, it was really challenging. My dad managed a car wash. You know, my mom was busy raising four kids. And uh, I didn't have any lawyers in my family, so I didn't really know what a lawyer is supposed to be doing or what a lawyer does. Um, and so what led me in that direction was I just naturally was attracted to courses of study that kind of led into that law direction. You know, so that was basically uh, what led me in that direction. But even then, it was challenging because growing up in Illinois, we're having this conversation in Georgia. I had not studied any anything in Georgia. And so I just graduated, packed all my earthly belongings in the back of my 1984 Chevy Chevette subcompact vehicle, drove on down here and uh, basically just put my shingle out. One of the ways that I see life in terms of my life view, Michael, is I think a lot, I see a lot of the disadvantages as really advantages in the end. And a lot of the advantages can sometimes be disadvantages if not used properly. But anyway, you know, like I said, I came down here not having studied law, not having really knowing everything, just a perfect example of someone that was starting from ground zero, which was exactly the way I, I wanted to be because I thought there's no better time to fail. You know, I joke and, and say, you know, if I'd lost 
everything I owned, I'd only be out about 15 bucks at the time. I had the advantage that there was no order of difficulty because it was all difficult. So I just did every kind of law there was. I tried my first jury trial six months after being sworn in and just throwing myself into it, you know, and then narrowing the practice to personal injury over time. And, you know, and just surrounding myself with a lot of people that are were really very positive influences and, and helped me grow, become a better person and grow into the person that I am today. So when you did hang up your shingle, I mean, in, in the early days, I'm curious as to what day one was like when people talk about the fact that like, look, I started from nothing. What was that like? I mean, just what were those early days like? What did the day to day look like? So day one looked like this. It, it looked like uh, signing a 12 month office lease, uh, having no clients. And, uh, you know, people were saying, boy, congratulations, that's great. And I was like, okay, well, all right, well, I guess we better get to work in terms of, you know, clients and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, it was all new. It was all a great lesson. You just get used to it after a while. You get used to it. Richard Branson tells this, um, this story of when he would, would have his wife, he'd be like, hey, honey, go ahead, sign this paper. And she'd be like, what is this? What am I signing? Oh, it just means if this venture doesn't work out, we lose the house and everything we own. And so, you know, after a while, just like you, you know, you build up your muscles at the gym and you build up your risk tolerance and you get kind of used to it. And, and speaking of that, I mean, when you look back and say in 93, I mean, there was a great deal of legal advertising in terms of like the yellow pages and so on. But most law firms across America did not necessarily view advertising necessarily respectfully. And then they didn't necessarily see it as a way to grow their firms or that lawyers that did advertise. Many of them saw them as a abomination to the legal profession. What essentially influenced you to say, hey, this is the direction I need to go to be able to build up this practice? You know, you're right. That was the view. You know, with law, it was very different than the other professions. You know, it was not legal to advertise until 1976. As you pointed out, for many, many years after that, it was viewed as taboo. And so, you know, as a result, the competition that you saw in, in most other fields really did not exist in, in law. And, uh, you know, things have changed a lot over time. And one of the things that has changed is it seems like in the earlier days there, there, was, there was kind of that chasm. But you know, in terms of the present law firm, any good law firm or any good business engages in marketing. And it just seems like there's been more and more of a trend as far as just making sure that you're delivering a full service to the client. Full service meaning in the area of law that you're handling that case to, to start to finish, you know, or otherwise, you know, making the choices that are going to be in the best interest of the client. What do you think made you different? I mean, obviously it's, it had to be something, right? Because if you look at it, most lawyers were not advertising and then you made the decision to, to really push in and do those things. But at a time where I imagine the firm wasn't very big, wasn't a whole lot of cases coming in. I mean, it was just really, you had no choice or was it something else? You know, we're all the, the, the sum of the energy of the people we surround ourselves with, right? And so, you know, when I look back in terms of things that point me in that direction, I've just have had so many people that have been positive influences. I mean, literally, there's very few things in this world that I do well, Michael. So, you know, in terms of, you know, what, you know, whatever you see that we're talking about that may, may have happened with my organization, it's a result of a whole lot of people working really, really hard. I'll tell you, the, 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 the people with the most humility, I find, tend to be the most successful. I, I still have a difficult time understanding how someone achieves a tremendous amount of success 
and has ego at the end because it's such a tumultuous journey, right? Whatever you may think of yourself, that will probably get beaten out of you over the years, right? You'll have enough just bad days and things not go your way to the point where you're humbled continuously. And, it, and it's amazing that the people you've been able to surround yourself with. So fast forwarding to today, what's the composition of the firm look like in terms of like team size, you know, head count, number of attorneys? So the, the team is, is approximately 200 members with uh, about 30 lawyers. You know, in terms of the composition, it's, you know, it's changed dramatically. When you look back at the early days, uh, you know, in terms of, of practices, they were very limited by geography in terms of the scope of practice being, okay, maybe we'll go through and we'll handle uh, clients in this county or this adjacent county. And then after that, that spread to, to statewide. And then after that, it spreads to other areas. And then after that, it becomes, you know what, it, we'll go wherever the client is. And it's much the same with team members. You know, when you're looking to source the best talent on your team, why limit yourself to your hometown? You know, one of the silver lining, linings of the pandemic was, was just that it forced innovation. As, as you pointed out, it forced tremendous innovation in a very short amount of time. As a result of that, it forced us to think in new ways of, you know, looking for talent, you know, beyond our immediate convenient geography. And just really just finding talent, you know, that was available and uh, integrating that into our organization and moving forward with that. What, what would you say are some of the main differentiators of the firm today? Because, I mean, you're in a arguably very competitive market. I mean, in just in Atlanta, I mean, there's a ton of competition. There's a lot of big advertisers and a lot of firms that are, are run really well. I mean, it's I think gone are the days where your, your competition is just essentially just spending a lot of money. I mean, now that's, you know, you add in great operators. People have great business operations. They're leveraging technology. It becomes more and more difficult to compete. So how does the firm stand out today? I would say it stands out in two ways. In terms of where we spend our resources, it really comes down to two things, and that's marketing and that's our people. In terms of marketing, there's two ways to grow a practice, and that's you expand your geography or you expand what you do in terms of adding other practice areas. You know, in terms of our geography, that would be one distinguisher uh, as far as that, that has helped us grow. And, you know, with the Internet, that's just opened up a whole new world of exciting possibilities. Uh, so that, and also too, it's when we're looking at ways of doing things, we're always looking at, you know, how can we say or do something that's different? And everybody answers that question their own way, but you just, you won't typically hear any familiar slogans such as free consultation or things like that with us. We'll offer those things, but we'll say it in a way that's different. Uh, because if we're saying the same thing that everybody else is saying, then that just means that we have to spend more than anybody else to get to the top of that heap. And so the question is more, what can we do that's different? What can we do that is client-centered? What does the client want? And how can we best tailor our message to, you know, to appeal to that particular client? And then also, too, building, there's three potential clients. There's the past clients that we've already represented and just maintaining contact with them. And then there's the current clients where, you know, as far as doing the best job we can, so they'll tell their family and their friends. And then there's the future clients that we haven't met. And, you know, it's easy to focus a lot of attention on those future clients that we haven't met. But it's like, why would you not already look at those that, uh, that you've already had contact with, that already have familiar with, familiarity with your organization? I was reading, there's something interesting you do in the first 30 days for your clients. I guess a guarantee, if you will, if you, if you could speak to that. Oh, yes. So there's a couple things that we do uh, that involve that. One is, you know, is, is more of a customer service guarantee. 
This was an idea that we got from, from Ken Hardison that basically just said, listen, we're so confident you'll be pleased with your experience. If there's anything, if you're not 100% satisfied in the first 30 days, you can take your file and we won't charge you any fees or costs whatsoever. Another one that we'll do is if a client comes to us with a settlement offer, uh, we'll offer them a guarantee that we will beat that settlement offer with a higher, with a higher amount or we won't charge them anything. And I imagine like when people think about a guarantee like that, they're, they're apprehensive. But, you know, you go all in and do those things as, as differentiators. Like if you look back over the years, what what have been some of the mistakes like just or perhaps learning lessons that whether it was marketing or even s- some other area of the practice that you kind of reflect on that, you know, it just essentially were painful at the time, but were great learning lessons. Yeah, well, that's a great question, because all the great lessons tend to come from the failures. And that is what I see as the real rocket fuel is just getting used to those those lessons of failure early on and learning from those lessons and apply them moving forward. Uh, but gosh, in terms of, uh, you know, looking back over the years in, in terms of that marketing messages, uh, you know, Jim Collin in his book, From Good to Great, you know, tells the story of, you know, when you do anything, test it small before going big. So that's one of the things that we, you know, we try is, but it's, it's hard because when you have a new idea, you get so excited. You know, it's just like, I look back, Michael, and I can remember like one of the TV spots that we did years ago. And it was like, gosh, it was just like, you thought at the time you're doing it, you're thinking like, this is really something, this is going to win an award. And you look back at it now and it is like the worst looking home movie that you could possibly imagine. Like something that you wouldn't want your friends or family or anyone else to see. There's a lot of them. And, it, you know, the process never stops. I always say the reason they, you call it the practice is just because everyone's trying to get it right. And there's no finish line. There's lots of lessons there. And I think it's always changing because you always got to, you know, we're always changing things because the things we did six years ago or six months ago, they're no longer working. So we're constantly changing and updating those processes. How do you at this point, this is just with a variety of different ideas that you have, how do you kind of determine between like what's a good idea or a good marketing idea versus something that, you know, never quite makes it to market? I often say I don't, I don't need to decide if, because I'll just follow the numbers. So uh, you know, so anyway, you do the best you can, you track the results as best you can and whatever the numbers say, you know, there's things that, that I've done that I've ever excited about that nothing came out of. There were other things that I thought, gosh, this is really something that, uh, I'm hoping no one sees. And yet it's something that maybe takes off, but whatever it is, nothing's going to last forever. So I think you always got to be constantly beating on your craft, monitoring your results and then just following the numbers wherever they take you. Speaking of people, I know we've talked about that a great deal. How, you know, at this point, do you attract people to the firm? Most every firm owner would say that their biggest challenge is finding great attorneys, great staff. I mean, they're out there, right? So how do you attract them to the firm? Yeah. Well, that's a good, that is and one of the great challenges that's facing any business in America today is how do you attract quality talent? Uh, because... You know, we're at the time we're talking right now, unemployment is at a record low of 3.5% nationally and lower than that in some other places. And so one of the ways that we have done that has been a change of paradigm, a change of mindset. And what we look at now is not so much where the person is, but what they produce. So, you know, as long as we find someone that is, is producing and adding value, it really doesn't matter to us where they are. You know, and that leads to one of the other great challenges of uh, which is how do you maintain culture when you have a hybrid environment and you've got team members on site and you also have other team members uh, that are working someplace else? We do it in every way we can as far as, you know, posting and every online 
site that we can find. We do it by offering incentives to our team members and saying, hey, listen, we want to attract more people that are like you, that are positive minded, that are high performers and, you know, help us attract more people like you. Tell your friends, your family members that you think you think they'd be a good fit and then have them reach out to us every way that we can find to answer your question. And speaking of culture, how would you define the culture of, of the firm? Our mission is to make good things happen for other people. And so, and, you know, so in terms of doing that, it's, you know, we're trying to make good things happen for our clients, but the most important people to take care of, first of all, are your own people. Take care of your people and you'll have happy people. And then in turn, with their interactions with the clients, they will have a happier, better experience. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. I'm curious that through your evolution over the years, I know we talked about what, what day in the life looked like when you started the firm. What does that look like today? Yeah. A day in the life in the firm now, it looks differently than it did before getting ready to travel next week to our office in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And in terms of uh, other ways, constantly trying to find ways to better communicate and better keep in contact with our team members. So I'm involved in huddles every day. Uh, I do uh, walkthroughs of our on-site headquarters here in Atlanta, uh, as far as just having the touch, as far as having that human contact with people whenever possible. In terms of the playing field, it's, I'd say it's a different playing field where, you know, instead of looking at a geography of, of the city or the, or the state, we're looking at more kind of, of a bigger playing field, which is great because it provides more opportunities, but also more challenges as far as organizations and best, what are the best practices for your team? What are the best practices for your procedures and organizations and just, and maintaining a, a good client experience? And it's got, after all these years, I mean, you're coming up on what, like 30 years just with the practice. I mean, you could have stopped this a long time ago. What, what keeps the fire burning? Why, why keep doing this? And why keep even growing and expanding? What's driving you today? Well, for me, I, I like to work for starters. And so there's a, there's no finish line. And so it's like my days still start at 4.30 a.m. each morning. And, you know, I still very much need the weekends to keep up uh, on everything that accumulates during the, during the week. And uh, so it's, it's one of those things that I can intend to practice as long as uh, God and my licensing board will allow me to practice. I love it. I love it. What, and what are some of the things that you do to just remain in peak state, just remain energized? I know we were talking about before on your website, it says you work out six days a week, but now it's seven days a week. What types of things are you doing? In terms of uh, workouts, I will go through. One of the things about our profession is that, you know, it tends to be a sedimentary profession. So anyway, I'll typically go through, I'll do a workout in the morning and then involve some type of weight workout. In the evening, I'll do some type of workout that involves cardio. And, you know, the key is to, uh, I think it's just to stay active doing something and, you know, to rest is to rust. And so I just, uh, do the best I can as far as maintaining activity. I just think that that, that having constant activity is also just naturally buoys your spirits and keeps you, you know, a positive state of mind and, you know, keeps you going on the right track. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. In terms of like even maintaining that momentum, I mean, it, it sounds like you're a constant learner. Where do you see the future of the, of the legal profession going? That's a great question. And just like we've seen the kind of the, just like we've talked as far as the past trends of the legal profession expanding from, you know, from locality to statewide to regional in terms of looking ahead to the future, I see that expanding in terms of when you look at how much things have changed. Like for example, when I graduated law school, there was no uniform bar exam. Now there is. And 
in terms of just like everything else you see as far as expanding, I see law doing very much the same things. And there's a lot of exciting things going on. And it's like if you're not if you're not growing, if you're not expanding, if you're not investing in tomorrow, then you're not moving forward because someone else is doing those things. So I, I think that's just one of those things that answer your question in terms of where we're going in the future. I just see continued expansion and state boundaries being less and less important. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's interesting. Some people have talked about, I mean, we've talked a lot about Rule 5.4, non-lawyer firm ownership, but Rule 5.5 I think is also interesting because it's like multi-jurisdictional practice and being able to serve clients wherever they are. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? I generally sleep pretty good, but in terms of things that keep me up at night or things that, that, I mean, there's, there's always things to do. I mean, I keep a things to do list for myself every day of things that are on, you know, just that just they're on my mind as far as that. I think it's a lot easier to, you know, to hit your target, whatever it is, if you know what your target is. So I, you know, I, I sleep pretty good, but I, to answer your question, I've, I've got, uh, you know, my goals and, and my things that I need to do just for my own responsibility. So they're always there. How do you define success? Success is, can be defined a lot of different ways, but I would answer it this way. Failure is always defined the same way, and that's not reaching your goals. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So to kind of deviate a little bit, I'll see if I can get this out of you, but I'm, you know, obviously your results are not common. I mean, you're doing tremendously well. For somebody who's listening to this podcast and said, you know, they may be at a different place at their practice, maybe they're just starting out, or maybe they've been practicing law for quite a while, they've just never been able to really gain traction. What do you find differentiates the most successful firm owners from perhaps the least? I think the most important thing is to think outside the box. I think that's the most important thing is to think outside of the box, find out what are the friction points? How can I address those to better serve the needs of my clients and others on my team? And what can I do that's that's new and different? And, you know, and also just, you know, having a mentality that is not risk adverse. I was always, always completely accepting of the possibility of failure. Uh, which is, it's not really failure if you learn the lessons and you can apply those moving forward. But I think just having that, that and surrounding yourself with people that are going to be a positive influence in your life, uh, that are like-minded and just having, because we all deal with the same struggles, Michael, the same problems in learning from others that have successfully overcome those. And then just, uh, you know, any lessons that you, that you've achieved, then passing those on to those that follow. And as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, Scott, what does being a game changer mean to you? Being a game changing attorney means to me someone that changes the game, uh, somebody that is thinking outside the box and somebody that's able to, you know, to see everything as a lesson. You see the advantages in the disadvantage and someone that leaves a mark by doing things that are going to be new, different, innovative, that are going to provide a better experience for those around them that they serve. I want to give a huge thank you to Scott Mungie for taking the time to speak with us today. And I want to thank you, yes, you, for listening to this podcast and for your commitment to learning and growing as a leader. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Scott Mungie, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. Oh, 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 oh